Good morning. That was a cheerful good morning for people who didn't get their t-shirts. Good job, church. Rejoicing in persecution, you all are. All seriousness, welcome. I'm Pastor Scott, if you're new. I'm so grateful you've chosen to worship with us as we talk and get into the Beatitudes this morning. And the Beatitudes is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible because it's so dynamic, so just draws you in. And every time you read it, you're challenged and changed just a little bit differently based on your current setting. As we get into this new series, we did promise t-shirts, and normally on these types of new series launches, there's some sort of fun interactive game like Bible Jeopardy. I'm not wearing the blazer, so it's not happening this week. I know. It's in the dry cleaners. It will be coming out very soon, folks. But this week's a little bit more of a serious academic E, but also a critique on ourselves as we enter into this setting of the Beatitudes and understanding what Jesus is trying to say to us. I want to throw up on the screen this QR code. Larry Coffey, who's graciously doing slides, said, I don't know what this thing is. You take your camera, guys. Take your camera. You point at it, and all of a sudden, it just opens up this thing called Padlet. Okay, so get your cameras out. Take a picture of it real quick. Here we go. Everybody can use your phones in church. Y'all are anyway. <laughs> that was subtle. I just, just want to slide that in there. Not so subtle. Okay. Just sliding that in there. You're all using your phones anyway. This allows us as a community to share these moments where we come across one of the Beatitudes in my real life, or, or even just a prayer request. It's an online digital place where using Padlet, you'll see different posts. This is what it looked like the start of today after last week's message on the values of E3. This week, I'd love to, and each week, figure out where in our community are we living out these Beatitudes, where are we living out our values, and even celebrate them from the the stage week in and week out and invite you to engage on this and maybe even creatively post one as we go forward in this message. But the Beatitudes tend to be one of those more dynamic, inspiring, and overall clear teaching of Jesus. Jesus doesn't mince words here. That is direct and to the point and yet is often overlooked as some sort of, oh, I'll be nice if that actually happened, grandiose statement. The Beatitudes have this in a sense. They are lofty. But the Beatitudes truly are much more than that. They embody Jesus' values, his mission, and the DNA of what a follower of Jesus is, and more importantly, what a follower of Jesus does. They consist of nine cause and effect statements that we heard just read a moment ago. Matthew organizes them in a way that makes it very conducive to his entire book of Matthew. We're not getting into a whole study on Matthew, but the but Beatitudes give a great sense of what this book is about. First, it is the first recorded teachings in Jesus' ministry from Matthew's perspective. See, he divides up his book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, in five sections that we don't get in English through the translations, and we just kind of quickly read through it. But the listeners of the original Matthewan account would hear the phrases that the original Greek language would speak and say, oh, this is a book of five different settings. And isn't it interesting that in the first part of the first book, we see Jesus go up on what? A mountain. Now in Luke's place, in Luke's gospel, it's a, it's a large plain, but this mountainside for Matthew seems to be important. And here Jesus starts teaching the people. Who else went up on a mountainside and taught people in the Old Testament? Moses. Now, is this a coincidence? I think not. Some Bible scholars do think it's a coincidental. I think Matthew strategically does this saying, these first teachings that I'm going to write down of Jesus are some of the most important teachings 
You'd even want to put them on tablets and remember them. See, friends, in my opinion, these Beatitudes are of utmost importance for the Christian in their Christian walk, just as the Ten Commandments were for the ancient Jew. Secondly, it targets the least of these. These are not pithy statements to rile up those in power. This empowers, it literally encourages the least of these. We have to remember that in Matthew 4, Jesus is already teaching. He's doing so many ministries and doing healings. He's getting a crowd of followers who are the rulers of the day, right? The wealthiest of the wealthy, right? No, Jesus' followers were fishermen. They were homeless. They were sick. They may be religiously curious. They may not understand what it is to be in a relationship with God. Jesus isn't for those who have power. Jesus is for those who are the powerless and targets the least of these. Because of that, third, these Beatitudes reorient culture itself. Words like the poor in spirit, the mourners, the hunger and thirst for righteousness, and the pure in heart. As we get through week by week by week with different teachers teaching through these Beatitudes, you're going to see that these reorient not only Jesus' culture, they reorient ours. These statements are going to mess with our brains and how we view our world. Warning. Warning. Fourth, these nine statements are not only in the future tense of being blessed. This isn't all only about being in heaven, some mythical place where we all get tubs of bacon. <laughs> you know that's what heaven is, right? That's, that's, if it is, I said I'm not going to make any jokes. There's one. It's, 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 it's true. Thanks, Mike. Welcome to heaven. Here's your tub of bacon. In all seriousness, though, these aren't only about the future tense. These are about the kingdom of God being done now. Being blessed is not about the future, as some pastors may say. It is about the future, but it's about right now. Being poor in spirit. Being thirsting for righteousness. Making that kingdom pop in the moment and also in the future as well. And lastly, these statements use repetition and pattern using the word bless over and over and over nine times in counting, which then gets us to the second and hardest part of the sermon. It is the idea of what a blessing is and what being blessed means in the first place. See, blessings and this word blessed unifies the section of text, giving context to each cause and effect and momentum for the entire passage. In Greek, the blessings translation literally means happy. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are those. But in Greek, it actually applies to a state where an ideal point of view from another person sees a person and says, they're perfect. They're perfect. They're perfect. They're beyond just what we call happy in 21st century America. They are in a perfect state. But I think Jesus uses the term to indicate so much more. So let's do the uncomfortable work of looking at our own versions of being blessed. And let's just all say it together. Hashtag, there it is. <laughs> Growing up, I had a grandmother, we called her Big Mommy, which is a Southern term for, for mom. She's from Texas, okay? So don't judge me. So we called her Big Mom. And Big Mom occasionally would say this phrase that I didn't get coming from the North. Yes, I realize I'm submitting my own inequities, okay? laying my sins before you, she would say this phrase, well, bless your heart. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's so wonderful. 
Thanks, Big Mom. Thank you. I, I do need blessings for my heart. Only to find out people in the South say that with a little bit of sarcasm behind it. We desire a blessing. We desire a blessing that I'll describe in a moment. But instead, we try to understand, we try to, to substitute this idea of happiness for what we actually mean for blessing. See, there are times where a substitute will do, and there are times where it's not going to quite make the right recipe. Just like in cooking, you can sometimes substitute one thing for another if you don't have it, and sometimes it makes the dish a disaster. See, there's times where a substitute teacher, a substitute recipe, a substitute relationship will not cover what is needed. And the idea of being blessed, we have to understand it from Augustine's point of view. He always talked about your heart having a God-sized hole that he and all of us try to slam something else that kind of seems to be the right shape into that hole to substitute where only God can reside. A blessing and being blessed is this kind of mentality. That if we take away the cultural ways in which we are told we are blessed and just look at for it from God, we can find satisfaction. But instead, we are told that we have to look a certain way. Then we're blessed. We have to told that we have some sort of magic amount of money in our bank account. That's when we are blessed, right? It has to be this certain number. And once you get to that number, then all of a sudden, oh, wait, it's a little bit higher, right? So no, no, it's, it, but there's a point where eventually I'll be blessed with that magic amount of money. That my children, they have to act a certain way. Or this amount of children, two and a half, then I'll be blessed. That a product that I would buy, a house, a car, a dress, a trinket, that, 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 that Pastor Scott, that'll make me blessed. It is not that having these things are sinful, but they're not blessings. They can be a blessing, and they can bring a blessing, more on that in a moment. But we're not quite done critiquing our happy, obsessed, and narcissistic culture. Perhaps it isn't the things that I find as blessings. Perhaps there's this ideal age that I need to be. Some of us look back and say 19, maybe 29. Some of us look ahead, saying 49, that's that moment of magic blessing of age. Or 69, 79, it always ends in nine, because once you get to the zeros, it's some sort of midlife crisis. That was not intended to be a joke, but I'll take it. Or maybe if I finish a great work over time, maybe I, I, I find an achievement or some sort of accomplishment, then I will be there, there meaning blessed. Or if I could just adjust my biochemistry and genetics to live longer, then I'll have a longer blessed life because long in old age means blessing, right? That'll make me bless. Never mind that we're going to be wrestling soon with uploading our consciousness to a computer or chasing the fountain of youth in any sort of ways through our scientific discoveries. But friends, Ponce de Leon and us will never quite find a blessing, no matter how old we age. Notice the fact that there isn't a person in my life who I secretly compare myself to, maybe lust after, declare my personal lowercase god, a helicopter parent over this person, or find a blessing based on any sort of relationship in my purview. Or perhaps it's the appearance of holiness that pretends to illumine others around me that can comfort my soul in some sort of happiness state because I am holier than thou, and therefore I'm blessed. Or, or lastly, it's a larger group of people whose mission I will pervert my mind, my body, 
and even my soul because the lemming urge is so great to be blessed around other people who pretend to be blessed. It is the same thing that every church is succumbing to preaching to people what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. See, friends, in our society, an emotionally charged but shallow happiness has co-opted our idea of blessed. C.S. Lewis, in his masterpiece, The Screwtape Letters, where he fictitiously writes of one demon training another sub-demon to torture a man, all fiction, but very enlightening on how the enemy might think about taking our focus off of God, that he tells his protege not to torment the person, not to cause him pain, not to cause him discomfort, but instead let him live a life of mild comfort and to not be, ever be really challenged in any way because if we do that, he'll never be forced to change his own outlook on his own life. Because friends, if I feel blessed, then I must be, right? Don't worry. I feel just as uncomfortable as you do right now. It's why we drug ourselves on literal drugs, thanks to caffeine, thanks to any sort of different biochemistry things available to any person in this room, to shopping, to sports, to tech, and even our overindulgence in an age where overindulging is so celebrated. Now, I'm not asking you to become minimalists. There have been wealthy and opulent Christians forever, but I'm equating the idea of being blessed to our culture we are as perverted as humanity has ever been. I can't tell you the number of times well many people have flippantly said they are blessed because of earthly pleasures on any one number of the categories I just mentioned. But when you say you are blessed because you have a car, a house, a child, an age, money, a boat, or anything, you are commoditizing your God and inadvertently saying that the other people who do not have what you have are cursed. When in reality, we must reorient to the blessing agent to find what being blessed truly means. If you think about understanding where a water source comes from, it's quite the amazing journey. I remember going into Uganda and being on a boat on the Nile River and our captain saying that they've never really truly found the source of the Nile because it's impossible to truly find. This water just kind of comes out of nowhere in deep Africa, and eventually, we all know, goes through Egypt. That's the famous stories we know from the Bible. But the source of the water is such an interesting concept that there's even these people who are now understanding just how much water is under our earth, the source of where our life comes from, and how our whole planet is so bound to it. Friends, we have to look at the idea of being blessed as defining the source of some giant river. To find that when we know the river is there, it's easy to feel blessed. But to find the source of that is the true test to understand how to deal with all these other things in my life. See, what the Old Testament and the New Testament equate blessings for both people and for God is a proximity to God. The proximity to God. If God is the one who blesses, then proximity to God is the blessing. Make sense? See, being blessed isn't about some sort of metric. It's about God saying you are. How awesome would that be if that was the case in my life? For Abraham, it was being blessed about descendants. 
There may be stars in the sky and grains of sand on the beach. You have all these ascendants. It wasn't about the kids. It was about God telling him he will be blessed through those kids. For the Israelites, it was about freedom. They were enslaved in Egypt. And remember the story about Moses leading them out of slavery. It wasn't about finding freedom. It was about God literally being in their camp day and night, being by them, talking to them, instructing them and guiding them to be his people. We think about Israel, King David, David and Goliath. We know that story. That David and this whole kingdom of Israel is established and set forth as a blessed nation, not because of how cool they are or how awesome their capital is or even how much riches they have. No, Israel was blessed because who is their God? It's God. Even in the exile where the kingdom of Israel is destroyed, the people are sent off to different neighboring countries over and over and over and over, even to Jesus' day with the Romans. We see that they found blessing because a God who cared for them outside of their comforts and what they thought they wanted, they were transformed and reoriented to what they actually needed. See, it's not about descendants, about freedom, about kingdom, or about some sort of hope. It's about God. And in each and every character in the book of the Bible, blessing is equated with a proximity to God. Blessing is equated to the proximity to God. And we see this in these Beatitudes, which is why I love them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is a kingdom of heaven. Again, the proximity to a God who rewards those who have just the littlest amount of faith. Blessed are those who are mourn, for they will be comforted. Guess who's doing the comforting? God. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We don't think of that in our day and age. We think inheriting the earth is power, is prestige, is controlling when t-shirt shipments come. <laughs> Blessing are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. God owns the earth. And proximity to God even when you feel meek, will make you inherit all. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They will be filled. Who does the filling? Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Who gives the mercy? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Friends, in the Old Testament, if you see God, you die. And here, Jesus, I mean, this, this would blow their minds. I can actually see God and not die? but being pure in heart. That proximity, being able to personally see our creator and redeemer, and even our friend. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called children of God. Friends, there's nothing more than I want, as Caitlin said in the worship, to be able to just come up to my, my father, my eternal father, and say, Dad, Dad. Blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for they are the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute and say all sorts of evil against you falsely for my sake. Friends, this flips it all on its coin and Jesus says, I, I am that source of blessing. I am the one who in proximity to me, I will reorient your life and you will be blessed. We must yearn after Jesus' blessing because he embodies 
every beatitude, every blessing, every moment holy. What Jesus does on the Sermon on the Mount is he says to all the people listening at this moment are blessed, but ironically, the pastors of Jesus' day aren't. The rulers of Jesus' day aren't. The power holders, the hoarders, the pious pretenders who pervert religion are outside his list of nine things. Jesus says the sick, the poor, the ones who are lost, the powerless, the justice seekers are blessed because they are the ones who follow him, who are in proximity. And this type of thinking completely reorients my ranking of life priorities and challenges this defunct system that I live in. Years ago, I worked at a hospice, and it's a beautiful, beautiful ability to, to walk alongside someone who's in their last days of life. It's a privilege, it's an honor. And working in hospice, we did all sorts of trainings, and one of the most challenging trainings I went through was called the grief experience. And what they asked for every person in the room is to write on pieces of paper something that you liked. So I put my car, I believe. And then some sort of relationship valued, so I put my wife, Carissa. And then lastly, to put some sort of experience or some sort of ability that you have that you, you enjoy. And so I put, I can sing. And turn these face forward on your, on your mat. And hundreds of people in this room going through the same training. And the person said, now, pick one of the things that you had to lose right now. And overwhelmingly, people put, picked the thing. I don't need a car. But I definitely want to sing and I definitely want my wife. So I have to pick car. It's gone. And then over time, the person leading the training asked us to flip over the cards so we had no longer the choice to see what we're picking. And item after item after item was taken away. If you think about it in your own life, if you do this game, it feels like you have some sort of ability to control your life when you can pick the things that you may have to give up. We have to take away the things that mean something to you. But over the course of the game, what was remarkable is that this person who was leading the training would walk up and with such intimacy come to one person and point and say, take away the third one on your desk. And we saw people with trembling hands reach out and pick up a piece of paper, not knowing what was written on it and who was on it. And people actually started weeping. And this fictitious activity, this is this game all in a sense of understanding what grief is and how it impacts different people. But friends, the moment that was so impactful for me personally as I watched this unfold before me was that the last category what we had to write on was a state of being of who I actually am. And I put down father, put that piece of paper down and turned it over. And though I only had one child at the time, to have that one child taken away and that privilege of being that child's father removed I, I started crying, not knowing exactly why. But our culture seems to just mute that little voice of a state of being of who I am and a state of what I am over the state of things touchable and tangible of relationships that are around me. How many of you, if I remove the term blessed from your life, would that be a devastating consequence? A life-changing moment to say you no longer had proximity to Jesus Christ. For some of us, we don't understand it because we don't have that type of relationship. We've never given my all, so to speak, 
to Jesus and saying, you have control over my life. Make me blessed. For some of us, we've grown quite comfortable with that relationship and maybe have grown numb to the proximity that Jesus wants in our lives. And for some, our relationship is so vibrant to take that away, you'd rather have anything else lost in your life, no matter what it may be. See, the God who created the universe wants intimacy with you. The God who speaks the world into existence knows your name and wants to say it to your face. The God who perfectly aligned every tiniest molecule in the entire galaxy wants to be with you, wants a relationship with you, and have proximity that, friends, truly is a blessing. With that, I'm going to invite the worship team. And the next song they're going to sing brings forth this concept so beautifully that the God who created all things and who sustains all things wants to be with you and to give you this sense of blessing that is embodied in these beatitudes and to truly know that no matter what my past or where my future may go, God is with us. With that, let's transition and praise God together.